Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. No silent assassin, no science advisor, Matt Moniz, no psychic medium, Stephanie Burke. No theme song either. We'll fix that in post. Uh, but we are here to talk about the paranormal. I say we, I mean me. Here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And tonight, I'm the only one here. And I'm the only one here because I'm at my house. I'm actually in the home studio where I normally do Midnight Society because, well, I figured since Matt Moniz couldn't come in and do the show, since Stephanie Burke couldn't come in and do the show, and since our governor here in Massachusetts issued a COVID curfew that says that we need to be home and off the streets by 10 p.m., unless you're working. And I assumed that Spooky South Coast would count as working, so I wasn't too concerned about being out anyway, but I figured since nobody else was coming into the studio, why go into the studio? I can just do it right here from home. And sure, we don't get to be on WBSM, but I think that audience knows for the most part that if they don't hear us on WBSM, they can always check out Midnight FM, and that's where they'll be able to find us. Because tonight we do have a guest plan. We are going to be talking with Amy Bruni. You know her from Kindred Spirits. She has a new book out called Life with the Afterlife, 13 Truths I Learned About Ghosts. So we will be, uh, we'll be talking with her coming up in just a bit. And uh, maybe a little bit later on, I can also open up the phone lines here uh, as well if people want to call in. But it has been quite a day. Uh, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, we finally have a president. There has been uh, a lot that has gone on during the course of the day. There's been a lot of uh, celebrations that were happening, uh, not only in the country, but around the world. And uh, also, uh, both uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris both spoke just a little while ago. So it's been a, a news-filled day, you know, having the news channels on TV all day, watching everything that was going on. But I feel like now that we are coming out of the election news and there's still going to be news with all the challenges that are going on and some recounts and things like that. So there, you know, it's not going away. It'll be part of the focus for people going forward, but we can also get back into a heavy focus on paranormal topics. It seems like we totally forgot about the paranormal over the last week or so. Uh, if you remember, or if you listened last night on midnight drive, uh, we were talking about how there really wasn't a Halloween that we had, you know, the, the day of, and normally there's a little bit of a Halloween hangover, a bit of a time when you go out and you buy, you know, if you're, if you're a candy fan, you go out and you get the, the half off candy. Although I don't know if they still like really deep discount that as much as they used to. Uh, there's also the, um, you know, the, the decorations, the costumes, all that stuff goes on sale. So I would always be the one to go and run out. And, you know, I always, <laughs> I always had this thing that I would do where I would uh, put aside a little bit of money starting in like August. And each time I got paid, I'd take a little bit of money and put it aside. And then usually, you know, I, I go out and I'm all over the place in October speaking at different libraries and different civic organizations and all that. Not so much this year, but uh, most years I'm out almost every night of the month. So then I might take a little bit of money out of that, put it all aside. And then the week after Halloween, 
go out to all the different stores and just get whatever I can at the deepest discounts that I can. And I've played that game where I've gone into the store and I've said, okay, I want that, but right now it's only 25% off. I'm going to wait and come back when it's 50% off. And if it's there, it's there. If it's not, you know, I took the chance. The, the game worked out in my favor more often than not. And now I have a basement full of, you know, fake gravestones. Um, what else do I have? I have, uh, you know, smoke machines and strobe lights. And uh, I have uh, probably more styrofoam skulls than any one person should ever need. I even have one that's pretty cool where you put, it has like a little, uh, little metal dish that you fill up with water and then you plug the skull in and it heats up the element heats up that little metal dish of water and it starts making like fog that comes out of the, the, the skulls eyes and, and nose holes. Uh, and it has red lights in it. And it's pretty cool. I usually put that like up on my porch. Well, I didn't have a porch. Then I had little steps, but I used to put it up on the steps and, uh, and then I just slowly acquired things. And one of the weirdest things that I acquired was I went into the supermarket one day uh, probably it was, it was a good couple of days after Halloween and they had a crystal ball and I don't mean a small one. I mean, this thing is probably like a foot tall, maybe even two feet tall. And, uh, and inside of it is a life-sized human genie head and you plug it in and when people walk up to it, it starts moving and opening its mouth and, you know, moving its head from side to side and all that kind of stuff. And so I named it Jombie, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and I use that year round. It doesn't have to be Halloween for me to pull out Jombie. And it's just one of those weird things that uh, people will talk about. You know, bring it to some of your, um, if, you, if you bring it, if you bring it to, oh, I don't know, like a bake fair and put it on the table, a bake sale. It gets people talking. And so sometimes I'll bring it to some of my lectures and presentations and things like that. But it's, uh, it's definitely a conversation piece because you can have a conversation with it. But I missed, that, I missed out on that this year. You know, uh, just being busy, paying attention to everything going on with the election for my day job and all that. I didn't get the chance to go out and hit the store. So I don't know if they've had the same sales that they've had in the past. I don't know if they are still even, you know, if they were open like they were, you know, the spirit Halloween stores and all that. But last year I did get probably my favorite score of all time. I went to, I don't know if it was spirit Halloween, but it was, you know, one of those Halloween stores and they were closing down and everything was on sale. And I got a movie quality, you know, Michael Myers mask. That was pretty cool. But then I also picked up an old 1950s television like floor model TV and it's sitting still in my office at work a year later because I haven't taken the van and brought it to my house. Uh, but it is, uh, it, it, for those of you who don't collect vintage electronics because you know, you're normal, you don't understand the thrill of finding something that looks, it doesn't matter if it works. It looks like it's going to be a good piece of furniture. And it looks like it'll be something that you want to have in your house. I have three, you know, console radios like that, three, three floor model radios like that. I have uh, the oldest one, I think, is a 37, 
Westinghouse. And then I have a 41 RCA Victor. And then I just picked up another one that I haven't even looked up yet to see when it was from. Um, and I have like little, you know, little radio shelf radios all over my house too. And so when you walk in you look around and you just see all these old vintage radios and everybody's like, Oh, what do you have these for? Why don't you throw those away? Like, no, these are works of art. And they are, there were so many different styles and so many different, um, you know, d- technologies that they would put into them. I have, I have one called the golden throat, an RCA radio uh, that has like a bullhorn type speaker. That one works. It sounds really good. It was cool. Cause the day that I, I bought it and I brought it home and I plugged it in when I turned it on the first thing that came over the AM radio, cause these all only have AM. The first thing that came over the AM radio was the monkeys. And I was like, Oh, maybe that was the last thing that was played on it <laughs> before somebody decided to put it in a basement somewhere. So uh, there's that thrill of going out there and getting something the, the day after Halloween and the week after Halloween. Uh, most of my Halloween costumes that I have now have been those type of acquisitions because the costumes, I don't know why they do this, but the costumes that are timeless are the ones that stick around. They're the ones that nobody wants because they probably already have them. So if you, you know, if, if, if you ever went as a vampire and kept your costume, well, are you ever going to go and buy another vampire cape? So all the vampire capes that nobody grabbed because they didn't need to be a vampire that year, they just sit there and then they put them on clearance and then I can go and buy, you know, 10 vampire capes for 50 cents each. And now I have a lifetime supply of vampire capes. I have more Hannibal Lecter masks than any person should ever need. And it was good because, you know, when you work at, you know, when you're at work and people are like, Hey, I didn't bring a costume. I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't have a costume. Well, hang on. I can take care of that. Cause you give somebody a Hannibal Lecter mask and that's all they need. And so I would literally keep these things in my trunk on Halloween in case anybody needed something I have. When I worked in the restaurant business, we were, we had to, my last job, we had to dress up in theme costumes and I wanted to get really in depth with it, but my coworker, cause it was just the two of us, uh, wasn't always into some of the ideas that I had. One of the things that I wanted to do was I, I because we got a budget, we were allowed to spend a certain amount of money to, to go out and get some stuff. So I wanted to go and buy at, uh, at one of the Halloween stores, they had Reagan from the exorcist. And she's sitting on, I think she's on a little bed and her head spins around and you know, it plays the exorcist theme and it was like 300 bucks. And I was trying to convince my coworker. I said, just give me the, whatever we have for a budget, I'll pay the rest. And then I'll just keep it. And I'll just bring it back every year. So they paid for it, but like, I, I would just have it. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we should buy that. You know, the people, cause it was a corporate cafeteria, you know, some of the people might get offended. It's like, no, we're going to get that. And then you and I are going to dress up as priests. And then that will be the theme that we have. And we'll win the, the contest. And we'll, I think it was like a, like a three or $400 prize or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think we're going to offend people. So we didn't end up doing it, but it would have been the best thing. Imagine walking into a corporate cafeteria and 
the lights are down and a strobe lights flashing and a smoke machine's running and you hear the exorcist theme and there's Reagan on the bed, head spinning around as you walk into the room and then you're getting your food served to you by two priests. And of course, an absolute must that day on the menu would have had to have been pea soup. But he didn't go for it. And I never did go back and get the Reagan on the bed as much as I really wanted to. So I'm sure some of you out there have some really cool Halloween decorations. You can send them in to me. Send me a photo. Uh, you can send it to Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com uh, or Tim at Midnight.fm. Send me the photos and uh, maybe we can you know share them out with the audience because I, I do want to see what people did this year for Halloween because I did not get a chance to go out. There was, um, we, we had an article up on one of the radio station websites where I worked during the day about all the different home haunts and people went all out this year because they knew that they were going to be stuck at home. So they, they got every decoration they could, you know, some folks have been doing it for years and have a a huge arsenal of stuff already. Uh, There was a documentary. I think it used to be on Netflix. I'm not sure. Or Amazon prime called American scream. And it's about these home haunts these people who build these haunted houses in their yards and let them run for like the entire month of October. And the focus in the film is of these three of the places are right in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, which is where we do spooky South coast from where the WBSM studios are. But this one little like area got national attention in this documentary. And I'm friends with the people that were in the documentary, you know, with social media friends and, and, uh, and, and they still keep up with it, but now it's only grown. There's more and more people who do this to their yards during the Halloween season. Uh, one of them is our friend Aaron Kadju, the co-director of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, and he's working now on the Highway Murders documentary. He goes crazy, and uh, he has Stonewall Manor, which is, I've never been in person, but I've seen his photos and videos. And it's just amazing. It's, it's, it's like a theme park and that's how into it people get. And I, I did that too, but I wouldn't do it for the entire month. I would only do it on Halloween. I would usually come home from work at around, you know, two or three in the afternoon because when I was cooking, I had to be in early and I would get home, you know, maybe take a brief nap. And then I would get to work. I'd be down in the basement, pulling out all the stuff, putting it all together, but none of it could go out and hit the yard till around four, four thirty when it started to get dark because I didn't want anybody to see it. And we never set it up exactly the same, even if we used the same things, but then we would get up there and we would put it all together. My son and I would do it and it would take us maybe like an hour or so to set it all up. And then we would just sit back and wait. And I had everything. I had the, as I was saying, the smoke machines, the strobe lights. I would put speakers in my windows and I would blast out. I had um, on my iPod, I had my Halloween mix, which was some of the horror movie theme songs and some of the, uh, you know, the, the creepier things like the funeral march and, and stuff like that. And I would just play that out the windows. And I was the only one in my section of my neighborhood that went all out like that. And I'm on the very back edge of my neighborhood on a pond. So nobody 
sees what's going on until they come back here. And I'm also on a hill. And as people would come around and start going up the hill, that's when they would start to see what was going on in my yard. And you could hear like the kids start to freak out. And my son's not a big candy fan. He didn't really care about going out and getting candy. He would trick or treat, but he got bored with it after like one quick lap around the block because he wanted to come back and scare people. And so he would hang out in the bushes and jump out and I would hang out in the bushes and jump out. Usually Matt Costa would come over and, and he had this great like all black hooded figure costume that he would just stand there and he would, he would stand at the edge of my driveway and act like an animatronic figure. And then when people would like walk up to him and be like, Oh wow, look at that. Wait, where's it plugged in? And then he would like jump out and scare them. And we had it going really well for a number of years uh, to the point where we had to actually give away full size candy bars because people were afraid to come up to our door. So we had to make it worth their while. So it became like, oh, that's the house that gives away the full-size candy bars. But now we have to go through all of this to get up there. So it was fun. And I enjoyed it. Now, you know, I've had to work late on Halloween. Or like this year, I had to do Spooky South Coast. And, and I had other things going on. So I didn't really have the opportunity that I would normally have to to get out there and, and, and do the things that I like to do on Halloween. So it felt like it never happened to me. You know, we did Spooky South Coast, and that was pretty much it. Now it just feels... And I, I did the uh, the Dark Zone event before that. But it just... It's like one other thing that 2020 took away from us. You know, there, there wasn't a real Halloween this year. But I'm glad to see that a lot of people had a good time, and we're still able to uh, still focus on it and, and still go trick-or-treating and find a way to do it safely. And a lot of people doing up their yards and, and making it into an extravaganza. And now that's carried through to holiday decorations. Uh, people are already putting up their Christmas lights or, you know, whatever it is that they're going to celebrate. They're decorating for that. And I've seen all the photos going around on social media of people who have already put out their trees. Now, I would have gone crazy if my tree went up before Thanksgiving. Stop rushing the holidays, you know, but that's only because it's just a reminder every time I look at it, like, oh man, I still got to get my Christmas shopping done. But I just like to take the holidays one at a time. I could forgive putting up a, a tree a little bit earlier than Thanksgiving, just because there's not a lot that you can decorate for Thanksgiving. And when I was younger, growing up, for many, many years, we had a fake tree. And then we made the shift to getting a real tree and then only had real trees from there on out. And my mom would always keep it up until my birthday, which is January 4th. So whenever we would say, oh, when's the tree coming down? It's in the way. Or when's the tree coming down so we can bring that chair back in to watch TV? And she would always say, not till Tim's birthday. I don't think she does it for that long now, but maybe she does. She also has Christmas lights out on her house year round. I'm sure that drives my dad crazy when he gets the electric bill, but they, you know, they like to spread that cheer. 
if you go all out with a Christmas display and you want to send in photos, you can send them to me, Tim at spooky com. But I will tell the WBSM listeners that we are actually going to have a pretty cool contest going on. I can't say anything more yet until we announce it, but we're going to be soliciting for you to send in photos of your holiday light displays. We should have the information on that coming out. I think this week, but just a little bit of a heads up. You're going to want to, you're going to want to wait and, uh, and take part in that. If you, if you go all out, because there's going to be some cash prizes to be had. But now here we are. Halloween's over. The election's over. Thanksgiving's a few weeks away. What are we going to do in the meantime? Well, we'll talk paranormal. That's what we do. We'll talk about ghosts. That's what we do here. That's what I did the last couple of nights. I want to say thank you to Lorna and everybody at the Alley Theater and the Burtwood School for having me. Uh, I have, you know, those of you who have been following along with the program for the last few years, you know that I was doing a stage show with Jeff Belanger and Andrew Lake Carl Johnson and Frank Grace, where we would tell ghost stories in front of the photos of Frank Grace, which are like a ghost story in a photograph. But we would take this out on the road to different theaters around New England. And it it was different for all of us because we were all used to being lecturers. I mean, Carl has some storytelling background. Um, He does a lot of stuff uh, with Lovecraft and and some other performances. So he has a dramatic background and and Andrew used to be a stand-up comedian. And so he has some performance background, but really when it came to paranormal things, we were used to getting up and talking about the experiences that we've had and and the data that we've collected. And, you know, it was more about trying to be scientific and and proving things and, and being straightforward and factual. So getting up and telling legend stories, folklore, all that stuff, it was a little bit of a different thing for all of us. So, but we had each other to work through that with. And so as we would rehearse, we would tell each other like, oh, you know, you're starting to sound a little bit there, like you're lecturing instead of storytelling. And we could catch each other where we might get hung up and and fall back into our usual ways. But this year, I felt like, you know, there's, there needed to be something a little bit spookier. So when, when the, the alley theater asked me if I could do something, I said, you know what, let's, let's, let's try and tell some, some spooky ghost stories. And so what I did is I just took the normal things I would talk about, the experiences at the different places that I've been around New England, and I just tried to switch up the style in which I told them and be less matter of fact about it and just more creating a narrative. Still the same information, still the same experiences, but just to give it a different storytelling presentation. And so I did that for the last two nights, and I think it worked out pretty well. I've heard good things from the people that attended. You know, sometimes the people that didn't enjoy it, they're not going to reach out and say, hey, you sucked. But it, it seemed to go well. And so I'm thinking about maybe continuing on with some of those, especially if we can have in-person events. And that's what was cool about these is that they were in-person events 
my first time being in front of a crowd in quite a while. And everybody was masked until they sat at their tables, you know, the same as they would at a restaurant. It was outside. It was under a tent. I was performing. Um, I actually got to sit in a chair, which was nice. Uh, and that was at the front of the group. But I was at least six feet, probably more away from the first row of tables. So it was, you know, properly socially distanced. There were no, you know, we, we didn't have people line up to ask questions at the end. We brought microphones around to where they were already sitting and we wiped it down from person to person, kept everything safe. And, you know, if that's what we have to do in order to have some in-person events, it's worth it. It wasn't that bad. It didn't slow things down that much. It wasn't that inconvenient. And it was really fun. So if you want to book me for any of those type of things, if you have a local organization that, that is looking for events to put on, reach out to me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or Tim at Midnight.fm, and we'll figure something out. I mean, I can do the same thing over Zoom. So it really could be something that could be brought anywhere, but it's just different when you get to be in front of the crowd. It's different when you get to stand there and see the reactions of people. You know, if I'm doing something on Zoom, and, and maybe this is my fault because I do it as multimedia, but when I do things on Zoom, I, I don't really get to see the people's reactions because I'm looking at the screen of whatever I'm presenting. So I don't get to see the way that people are absorbing the stories and the information that I'm sharing. And, and I'm very much somebody that likes to feed off the crowd. I don't go into these things with a script. I don't go into them with, uh, you know, a certain, you know, a certain idea of what I, I have an outline. And then I kind of free flow from that outline. And if I'm doing something with multimedia and with a PowerPoint presentation, I just, you know, I work off the PowerPoint and then I work off the audience and I say, okay, you know, Here's another story that I wasn't going to tell, but since you seem to be interested in that one that I just told that was similar, let me tell you this one. And I think there's a lot of room for that to be a year-round thing. And I'm not just saying that because I want you to book me and because I want to be able to start doing things all the time, but I do think the storytelling aspect of things is something that people enjoy and it's something that we could have more of. Just getting together and listening to stories. Getting together and communing. Communing? Yeah, communing. The way that people would do. And if it means, you know, that it has to be digital, then it has to be digital. But I would, I would think that we're probably going to get to the point where we can start doing things more in person. So again, if you would like to do that, all you have to do is reach out to me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Tim at Midnight.fm, and we will find a way to make it work. We can probably figure something out. My calendar is wide open because nobody's booking anything. And we can put something fun together for people. I will be returning to the Middleborough Public Library in February because we were going to have uh, Presidential Paranormal the last week of October. 
but we decided because things got so contentious with the election uh, and that we were going to be on Zoom, we got a little bit worried that maybe either people wouldn't tune into it because they were tired of hearing about politics, even though it was very much a non-political discussion, or maybe people would see the word presidential and try to like zoom bomb or something like that. We just decided to switch it up. And so instead we did haunted objects, but I will be returning for the Middleborough library, Middleborough public library in February to talk about presidential paranormal around president's day. We haven't set the date yet, but I will let you know when we do. I don't know if that will be over zoom or in person. It depends on where Massachusetts is in the COVID response at that point. But I would like to think, and I, and I mentioned this to the librarian, even if it's an in-person event, we have learned that there is value in still doing it online as well. So maybe not everybody in town that would like to come out and see a ghost presentation is still feeling comfortable enough to go out in public and in a group. So it's worth it to still have that online option for them. And if we have that online option and there's enough spots there, well, that means we can probably open up to people from outside the town too. But that's kind of been the one thing that I pushed for is to make sure that we always get the local people in first. Because the local people, the libraries are using the money that they have for their patrons, whether it be from the, you know, the, the organization that they have, like the Friends of the Library or the grants that they get or whatever. And so we want to make sure that it's the local people that are the ones that get to go to those first. All right, well, let's get into it now with our guest for tonight. I think she is no stranger to the Spooky South Coast audience or to anybody that's interested in the paranormal. Amy Bruni started working professionally as a paranormal investigator in 2007 when she began appearing on Ghost Hunters, one of the longest running and highest rated paranormal television shows. Now she's the co-star and executive producer of the Travel Channel's Kindred Spirits. And in addition, Amy is the owner of Strange Escapes, a company offering guided tours and weekend getaways for paranormal enthusiasts. And she, she joins us now on the program. Good evening, Amy. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Doing pretty well. It's been a while since we've had a chance to talk. I know. I feel like, you know, this whole pandemic thing is really getting in the way of all of my, you know, paranormal friendships. <laughs> it, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been watching the way that you have been able to still uh, get out there and, and do some things and create some things and, and still work on the program. And it's, it's a credit to you and the people that you work with that even amongst all these challenges, you can still get out there and, and help people and still get out there and, and do the things that will make the audience happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we're lucky in the sense that kindred spirits has a, a small crew. And so we were able to film an entire season uh, during all of this, but you know, it was not without its challenges. It's just, it's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of uh, cotton swabs at the nose, lots of COVID testing and, you know, just being really diligent about uh, keeping to ourselves and things. But we made it happen, and it was it was really fun. It was a little bit of normalcy, honestly. It felt very normal. Once we got through kind of the the new routine, it felt it was nice to kind of get back to something that we had been doing for a long time. I mean, how often did you have to get tested? Was it every time you went to, to a new place to film a new episode? or? 
No, no. It's uh, honestly, it was like if there was any like significant amount of time between filming. So like a lot of time, you know, we're only filming with like a you know few days in between. But anytime there was a longer break, we would have to get tested. Um, But then just for me, because like I would travel to California to see my family or anything else that I did, like you have to just you have to get tested if you come back from any like areas with certain positivity rates and things and. So, you know, it, it's uh, at the beginning of it all, the tests were a lot more aggressive, meaning that they were a lot like higher up in your nostril. <laughs> now you can kind of do it yourself. And it's a lot easier. <laughs> but... Yeah. The, the, the one thing that I have been thankful about in, um, in, in all of this happening is the fact that prior to there being a pandemic, the paranormal community was pretty well networked online anyway. So we've still been able to kind of stay in touch with each other and, and talk about things, even if we're not able to go out there and do things. Yeah, no, totally. And that, that's been nice. Like, you know, uh, I think everyone's very active on social media. And um, I think that with strange escapes, though, and then a lot of appearances, I personally just got very used to seeing my, you know, weird paranormal friends on a very regular basis. And so that I honest like that has probably been the toughest adjustment for me in all of this is that, you know, uh, I've been you know, just not seeing my paranormal people. They're like family to me, and not being able to do events and stuff like, you know, sometimes at the time I'm so tired and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, this is so much work, <laughs> and then you know when it's kind of taken away from you, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much I was relying on this. <laughs> so. So that uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to that. But yes, there's a lot online, but I definitely miss those in-person interactions with all my paranormal peeps. Yeah, it is. It is sad that it, it is. It's like that, uh, that, we, you know, we we get so used to seeing each other. We get so used to doing things together and collaborating and to say, hey, you know, can you come and help me out with this and there was a time when you could say well no because i live in rhode island and you live in massachusetts and we're not supposed to go across the state lines right now so uh, there's you know just those little things that you never would have thought would ever have entered into into what it is that we do never like never it it never even occurred to i i guess it just puts into perspective the things that we take for granted you know i think that um I think we just got very settled and we've, we've, we're part of a generation that I don't think had seen anything like this. I mean, not many generations have seen anything like this, but this is, you know, we, we've just, we've been pretty fortunate, I think so far, as far as, you know, the things that we've had to go through. Um, but, um, I don't know. I will never take another paranormal event for granted again. <laughs> so we think that we'll never take for granted again. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. So now, and, and this is, this is, you know, a little bit of, you know, putting on your, your business owner hat, but have you given thought to when things are kind of green lit to get back to life as, as normal, have you given any thought to changes that you might have to make in the way that you normally ran events in a new version of the world where people might be more concerned about things like this? Absolutely. So we're going back. Our first event back is going to be in December in uh, Missouri and at uh, Belvoir Winery, actually. And I think we're only selling like 15 additional tickets because, you know, right. We already had so many people registered for we had two that got canceled. We like we tried to reschedule and we did not schedule back out far enough. The pandemic was still happening. And so 
we rescheduled to December, and then this time now um, where we're having it is the Odd Fellows Asylum, but also the Belvoir Winery and Inn, and so they've been successfully having weddings, and they have a lot of social distancing measures uh, in place already. And so we're just keeping it small, and uh, we've got enough space to spread out, and we've got all of these kind of protocols in place as far as, like, registration and things. We've got plexiglass barriers, and everyone has to wear masks, and we're doing temperature checks, and the speakers are getting COVID tested. And so we're, we're doing this. Like, I, at some point, we have to get back out there because we don't know how long this is going to be going on. So um, I recently visited Disney World, and it, it really – I'm like, if Disney World can open up, there is no reason why I cannot have a small paranormal event. Like I watched all of their protocols and I was like, if they can do this safely and I felt very safe, I was like, we can do this too. And so um, we're going to give it a shot in December and then we have events scheduled throughout 2021 as well. So hopefully as the year progresses, things will become easier, but we are ready to, you know, get back out there and, and try and try. I mean, we have to get out there and try at some point. But so far, the attendees are thrilled. Like, everybody who's registered is so excited. So that's great. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that people are, you know, understanding of the protocols and their understanding of the safety. And I think that that will just, I mean, there's, there's, how many years have we both been running events that we brought, you know, hand sanitizer all the time anyway? You know, so a lot of it's not that different than what we would have done to make sure that everybody's, you know, clean and safe anyway. It's just now we have to just be a little bit more, um, a little bit more vigilant about it. Absolutely. I've always been a total germaphobe as it is. And, you know, we have, as you know, like you've been there, like we, we do sometimes these conventions where we're meeting, no joke, thousands of people <laughs> and uh, you know, I've always been someone who kind of just stands back and I try not to touch too many people. I'm always washing my hands and I'm like taking all my vitamins. And so um, it's kind of it's kind of nice to know, like everybody's kind of where I was now, you know, but um, so I think I think we can do it. Like I, I'm really confident and it is great to have like cooperation from the attendees and stuff because they are so eager to just get they, they're just as eager as we are to get back out there and so it'll be interesting to see how it goes um and it's nice because i'm really good friends with the lime killers who own Belvoir winery and everything and so it's you know it's, it's nice to get back out there with friends and just kind of i know this is like it's like a safe kind of space to try this out and and i see that some people are starting to put together conventions again too and the you know that they're 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 working on doing that in a way where it can be safe for people I think that that's another place where people have learned over the years. You can't take it for granted that, you know, you, you got to wash your hands. You got to use hand sanitizer because everybody, there was always the joke that you went home from a convention and you were going to get sick anyway. So I think that, you know, the, the fact that paranormal people do so many of those things, it kind of built us for this mindset and this mentality of knowing like, yep, that makes sense. When you go and get together with a group of people, germs get transmitted because we've had it happen to us. Yeah, concrud. We always called it concrud. After we did a big convention, you were always sick. Like, Lord knows what kind of germs we've already hosted, <laughs> you know. But, um, but yeah. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm excited. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm excited. It, it's, I'm a little nervous just because I, I want to see how it's received. I want to make sure that it's a good experience for everyone still. Um, I mean, like you said, we're used to a lot of it, but there are some new things. Like, it's going to be weird. We're going to all be wearing masks. 
uh, you know, there's going to be like these plexiglass moments. We're going to have to have like, we're going to limit uh, admission to like coming into like the meet and greet or to go see like the traveling museum, you know, so, but I think that everyone will understand. And, you know, and, and as you've been getting back out there and, and, and getting the chance to investigate some places and, and filming kindred spirits and all that, you also had the opportunity to have that, that crossover episode, which mm-hmm. that caused some, that caused a, a, a real buzz when the news came out about that. People were excited to see the, the gang <laughs> back together. They totally were. And it was really fun. You know, it was, it was one of those moments where, it's strange because especially Steve and Dave, like we see them all the time. <laughs> so for us, uh, and also it was in Newport, which I live in Rhode Island now. I live on the island. And so it was not, um, it, you know, it was like a 10 minute drive for me to go do that. So as we were filming it, it really didn't seem that crazy because we all hang out anyway. And, uh, but then when the news came out that it was happening, people really were excited to see us on camera again. And you kind of forget that like, you know, no matter what you're doing off camera, you know, people aren't caught up on all that. You know, they don't know that we've all been hanging out for the years that, you know, we, Adam and I left ghost hunters. They don't know that that's going on. And so uh, it was fun to see how excited everyone was to see us on camera together again. And there was one weird part where uh, Steve and I, in all the years we had done Ghost Hunters together, because I was on Ghost Hunters for like seven years, he and I had never investigated on camera before. It was like this weird epiphany where we were standing there, I looked at him and I was like, we've never done this before. And he was like, what? I was like, we have never investigated on camera before, just the two of us. Like, this is a new thing that's happening here. And he was like, oh my God. You're right. We have never done this before, Amy Bruni. <laughs> I was like, nope. I mean, we have privately, like, at, like events or, like, you know, private investigations, but not ever on camera. It was so fun. Well, I know with, you know, in, investigating in front of the camera, it can be a little bit different than what you might do, you know, off camera, because there are certain ways that it has to be filmed and, and, and certain angles that they want to be able to present and all that. So you got to be aware of your, your surroundings. But when, when you got together... Now, you and Adam have been doing your own thing now for a number of years, and you have your own way of presenting the investigation for television, and they do their thing, and they have their way of presenting the investigation for television. So was there any kind of uh, you know, adaptations that had to be made from either side, or was it kind of just like, hey, let's just all fall back into the way that we used to do this? Well, no, it was nice because they like carved out some time for us to do some research together because Kindred is very research heavy. Like, you know, I am obsessed with doing research. And so, um, you know, there was this moment where it was just Adam and me and Steve and Dave and we were chatting about like what they were trying to figure out about the property and this and that. And so I just left that night and did my thing. I just went home and I was like, well, I want to do my research. <laughs> so I came back the next day and I was like, hey, so I found all this stuff. And they were just like shocked. You know, they, it was uh, not that they didn't do this on their own, but like I gave it like the kindred spirits research moment um, because it's just what I love to do. And so it was fun to kind of inject that into uh, their investigation. And then Adam and I tried some experiments and, you know, it's just that we just did some things that we were known for, you know, in, um, I thought it played really well with their investigative style as well. And, um, you know, they found it really useful because it was, a, it was a tough space to investigate because 
it's always hard when you go into a place you've investigated many times uh, and then like try to figure out what's different or, or what, what else you can find. And, um, but we were able to dig up some really cool stuff. So uh, I think we worked together really well. I, I, would not, I would be surprised if you don't see more crossovers with us again. And, and of course the location itself is pretty infamous. So that's, that's something that, you know, for, uh, there's a lot of dark shadows fans that are tuning into this that might've never watched a ghost show before, but they say, Oh wow, dark shadows. I definitely want to tune into that. Yeah. Every time we do that place, people like the dark shadows fans come out of the woodwork, <laughs> which I love that there is still such like a cult following for that show. And, um, so it's like, you know, anytime we can, you know, cross promote with somewhere else, we're, we're happy to do so. <laughs> and, and, and Dark Shadows keeps finding a new audience because they keep putting it on the different streaming services. And I think now it's on, I think it might be on Peacock, the NBC one, but like they keep putting it out on different ones and new fans find it and they get immersed in the, you know, 2000 plus episodes of it. And then they want to start consuming all things Dark Shadows again. <laughs> and then they find us, <laughs> so, as they should. It, you know, it's a, it's a, Dark Shadows was a phenomenon, and my mom was obsessed with that show. So I love that. Um, and it's that mansion is something else. Like I, I don't know how long it's going to kind of continue the way it's going because Newport has become a very hot real estate market, and I would say that's one of just a handful of properties like that that are just kind of sitting there. So I. I I would not be surprised if it hits the market soon. Just waiting for the right vampire to come along and, and buy it. <laughs> Some dark shadows nut with, with way too much money is going to come along and buy that. <laughs> well, and, and, and you and I talked recently about Maplecroft, Lizzie Borden's second home, uh, that being on the market now too. Yeah, you know, everyone keeps uh, sending that to me, like I, you know, like I don't know, and I'm like, oh, I know, I knew before this happened because Leanne called me to see if I had any interest in buying it before it even went on the market, and um, I love that house. Like, if, if it was in the cards for me, I would scoop that up in a second, and um, I, you know, it's going to take the right kind of buyer. Somebody asked me about it recently, and I was like, you know, it's going to take the right person, and so I think. Uh, you know, it's not surprising it's back on the market. I wish Fall River would just kind of back them up a little bit more. Um, right. And I wish they would have helped them make it work because, you know, it's Fall River, which Fall River is actually a really interesting city with a very interesting past and beautiful architecture. And uh, there's a lot going for it. Um, but I just feel like you don't want to turn away something that's a sure thing like that. The Lizzie Borden house and Maplecroft are two sure things. People are going to come from all over the world to see those two things. <laughs> so they should probably cooperate with Maplecroft and get it open. Right. And I never understood why they, they, they do cooperate with the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast and they understand what it means to the city, but yet they stand in the way of everything over at Maplecroft. And, and I don't, I don't know why it has to be that way. I know that there is, you know, you and I know this cause we're, we live in the area, but the, the people around the rest of the world might not realize the machinations of Fall River politics are unlike anything you've ever. <laughs> I mean, right now the former mayor is waiting to go on trial for extortion, and um, uh, what else is he? I don't know. He's charged with all kinds of things. 
uh, not not extortion, uh, embezzlement. Uh, you know, and, and kid mayor elected at I think twenty twenty six or twenty four years old, and and here he is, you know, only a few years older than that now, and and he's facing federal charges. So they've yeah. had problems over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the the least of their concern, like. I, I, all I need is someone to just sign off and be like, yes, you can operate as a bed and breakfast. But I feel like just anything they can do, I, it just makes no sense to me. But, you know, and the rest of the world, too. Like anybody else out there who's looking at Fall River, Massachusetts, just know there is this beautiful, beautiful home that they will not allow to open as a bed and breakfast for reasons unknown. <laughs> it's not like... It's in a real, you know, there's a few uh, houses nearby it. Like, it's in a neighborhood, but it's very set apart. It's got plenty of parking. There's a hospital kitty quarter to it, so it's not like it's going to add any traffic to the area. There's already tons of traffic going to the hospital. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Somebody just has to get paid. Someone has to give somebody the right payment under the table somewhere. Right. That's <laughs> what it takes in Fall River, just the right, uh, well, yes. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you ever knew the story of how the kid mayor became the kid mayor. But he was a city councilman, no. and he and he, he when he he was on the city council at a very young age, and uh, he claimed that the then mayor uh, took him, uh, you know, asked him to come on a ride with him because they, you know, they didn't get along that well. Asked him to come on a ride with him, and as they're driving around the city, uh, the the mayor is telling him, you know, I really need your help on some things. We really need to get on the same. Oh, could you reach into the glove box and and get this for me? And then when when the future mayor opens up the glove box, a, a gun comes out. And it was like, and then the mayor was kind of like giving him like a message, like this is what could happen if you don't play ball. It, like that's the way it was presented in the media. So just those kind of stories. <laughs> and oh, it, it's like a, it's like a little baby providence. <laughs> oh yeah, and before before the Tubi app goes completely belly up, uh, not Tubi. Um, <laughs> what's the other one? The Quibi. The before the Quibi app goes oh, yeah. completely belly up, you can watch a documentary about Fall River's kid mayor. It's uh, it's pretty fascinating. So, anyway, all that aside, so the, I mean, Let I me just, digress. I wanted to catch up with you a little bit there. But the main reason that we have you on tonight is to talk about this book that has come out, and it is, it is really catching fire, uh, not literally, but I have seen people <laughs> all over the internet talking about this book because, you know, you you didn't hold back. You dropped some truth bombs in this book. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I mean, I thought, I, I feel like I handled it gently, you know, but I, <laughs> um, no one, I, I'm surprised that, I, mean, I was worried when I, the book came out that people, I mean, I don't know who I thought was going to have a problem with it, honestly. And it's, I think that's why I had so many people quoted in the book was like, I just wanted people to see how I had arrived at all these ideas and theories, that it wasn't just me just like spewing all this information at you. and saying like, this is how it is. Um, you know, so it was almost like I had testimonials throughout the book and stories to back them up and experiences. And, um, but people, it's resonating, like people get it. And there's, I'm honestly, I knock on wood, I'm knocking on all the wood I can right now, but I, I've not gotten like really any negative feedback, which has been really surprising, but also like super heartwarming and exciting. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I think you're right. The way that you presented it, 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 it shouldn't really offend anybody or upset anybody, but make them think. And so, you know, mm -hmm. just for example, the, the chapter on not being able to help ghosts cross over that, you know, that we, no, we can't force a ghost to cross over like that is something that is 
you know, we've talked about for years, and I know that people have, uh, you know, discussed among themselves behind the scenes, but it's something that somebody needed to come out and take a public stance about it and, and let the people that don't understand how all this works know that there's very little chance that somebody's going to come to your house and be able to make a ghost go away. Right. And that was it. Exactly. It was, I have sat in and I'm sure you have too, and too many investigations where anyone, a psychic, a medium, anyone declares that they have crossed someone over and moved them to the light. And I, I mean, I was into it. Like I was like, yes, okay, great. And then it's just one, I started going back to places and encountering the same ghost that they had claimed to cross over. And two, it just started to kind of sink in. Like I thought, who are we to say that we even know what's going on there? And, and why, why are these ghosts leaving when we said that they would, you know? And so I just started questioning it and then kind of altered, uh, altered our investigative style, uh, more toward like figuring out the why the spirits were here talking to them, like, like they're a person in front of me. And, um, so anyways, that, that's kind of why I, I, I changed course on that. And, you know, I haven't really had any backlash on it, to be honest. It's been, I think it was eye-opening for a lot of people. I think I'm sure there's people out there that are psychics and mediums and stuff that, that do that work who probably don't like that chapter. But but people who, I think, um, you know, had questions about that, I think that makes a lot of sense to them. That not to put just your blind faith in anyone just walking in saying they're going to, you know, you know, get a ghost out of their your house and send them to the light. <laughs> So how did how did the decision come together to to write the book and and to do it in the format that you did? So it was a process. Uh, I've been wanting to write a book for a while, and uh, I thought. So my friend Julie, I can't remember if you've met Julie or not. So my friend Julie, uh, she is also she's a writer, and she was the one that was like, "We need to we need to like put this all into a book. Like this has to happen." And um, and I wanted to write a memoir, but I also wanted to talk about my ideas and my theories on spirits. Um, but I also, like I said before, wanted to like feature all of my paranormal friends. Uh, and so I think Julie and I were at Disney <laughs> because we go to Disney a lot. I think we were, that's where we kind of formulated the idea of making each chapter kind of its individual Thing. So, like, you could pick up my book and you could read chapter four and not have to read chapters one, two, and three. I don't recommend it, but but you could and you would get it. Like, so it wasn't. I did. It wasn't. It's not like a one long interweaving text. It's like thirteen very distinct chapters and subjects. And uh, and so we we decided to do that. And it, it was you know it was a process. I I'd been trying to do it for a long time. We pitched the book a, a few times, and then uh, Grand Central Publishing, like uh, my a publisher there or my editor there, um, Gretchen, really got it. She was like, "Yes!" And so once we got her behind it, it was it, it all came together. But it was it was a while. I would say it was probably a good year of formulating it, and pitching it, and putting together the treatment and everything. But yeah. And as you go through it, and you know, it, it reads to me as something that both uh, 
seasoned paranormal investigators and people who have never gone on an investigation can take away from, uh, you know, can take things away from it. But who did you want to focus on as your audience? Who were you trying to speak to more when, when you were putting this together? I wanted anyone to be able to pick up this book and read it. And it, it was very important to me that people who had no interest in the paranormal would still find the book interesting. And I think that's why, I mean, that's not why, but I, I felt like that it was important to have the memoir aspect to it. Uh, and that's, it's, that's been working. I wish more people that weren't into the paranormal would pick it up because I think that it's just an interesting story. And so like, um, the New York Times reviewed it, which was huge. And the woman who read it was not a ghost person at all. And she was like the exact person I wanted to read the book. And she loved it. And I was so thrilled. And I keep getting reviews like that. People who happened upon it and just read it. And, um, and so I know, I know my paranormal peeps are going to come out and read the book and they're going to, they're going to get it. And, um, but I also wanted to bring the paranormal to a broader audience. And so I was trying to figure out like how to do that. How can I appeal to a broader audience? And so I was thinking, you know, presented in the sense that like, I'm a, a person that has a very strange uh, occupation and kind of present like how I got there and, and try to make it interesting for them. And so it seems to be working like for the book is selling. It was on the USA Today bestseller list uh, a couple of days ago, which was exciting and it's got great reviews. So hopefully it keeps going down that trajectory. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, you mentioned in the book, having grown up reading the works of people like Hans Holzer and the Steigers and the, uh, and Brad Steiger and the Warrens. And, and uh, that is, you know, there's a strong resonance of that through this book. You, you feel a lot of that in there, but at the same time, it's also far more personal than I think a lot of them ever were willing to go. And, and there's few people that can get away with reaching a mass audience and give them paranormal information, but also give it to them in a personal way. And, and I think you just nailed it with that. Well, thank you. That was important to me because yes, I think, you know, I think probably one of my, my bigger, not fears, but like, I always worry that I'm just going to be known as like the paranormal person. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Like I'm fine with that. I realize that's my living, but I feel like it's important to, as much as we humanize the ghost, like humanize us, like, like I am not just solely defined by my line of work. Like there's a personality here and there's a human being here. And so I, and, and I think that's true for a lot of people that do this. And so I thought it was interesting to just kind of put that out there. Like this is, you know, this was how I was raised. These are my thoughts and feelings. These are my friends. Like uh, just kind of present it in a more personal way rather than just like a textbook on how to handle a haunting or what a handle or what a haunting is. Yeah, and, and there is a lot of that too, that you talk about the idea of, you know, not being known as a paranormal investigator earlier in your life, you know, doing it, but not being known for it and, and not having anybody know about it. And then having it become something that your friends knew about and then having it become something that was part of your life, but not defining your life. And then bam, all of a sudden you're on TV. I mean, what's, what was, what was that journey like uh, to, to, to go from somebody and from an era where we didn't talk about this to now it's a time when, you know, everybody wants to talk about it when they see you. So it was weird because uh, I had always had it as like this hobby and I wasn't necessarily like ashamed of it or anything. I just, 
I just didn't advertise it. I was just a very normal person. I still am a very normal person, whatever that is. But I, I just I had a, a normal job as a project manager for a health insurance company, and on the weekends I looked for ghosts. And then that started to kind of evolve into this moment where I started producing a podcast with Jay and Grant, um, their Beyond Reality radio show. Uh, and then I started like doing this kind of research study on paranormal groups because I was really curious to know how TV affected paranormal teams. And so I did that and started kind of presenting on that at paranormal conferences. And then it just kind of snowballed once I got once I started doing it on TV. And uh, it was a strange trajectory, but I just kind of stuck with it and I honestly thought that the TV moment would be short lived. Like I I remember quitting my job thinking, I'll just do this for a year or two. There's no way this is going to last. Like, and then I'll just come back. Like, I, I, I remember thinking, like, I think I can come back and do this in a couple of years. Like, I think I'll do this reality television ghost hunting thing for a minute. Just get out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, fast forward, you know, 14, whatever years later, 13 years later, and here we are. But, um, you know, it would, it's it's been an interesting road, and uh, I I just I like that me and like so many people I know have kind of just been able to just make it a, a, a kind of a, a normal living. Like we you know we we're still people are a lot more accepting of it now. Like before, I feel like when we first when I first started doing this, it was like oh you do what, and now it's more like it's just like an interesting um, it's an interesting occupation. So uh, let, let's let's discuss then what it was like when you were on television because I know that it was not easy coming into an existing hit television program and being the new person, but uh, people didn't necessarily know how tied in you already were with TAPS and not only that, how much you had already been involved in the paranormal world before that. Oh, totally. Um it was hard. Like I talked about it in the book a little bit too. Like I talked about how hard Steve was to win over and, <laughs> you know, it was, um, it was difficult because, uh, you know, people see, people see you on television and it's like you were just born. Like they forget that you existed before the second they saw you for the first time on their screen. And, and it's really strange like that, <laughs> that perception of you. And, so that was very evident when I first started with Ghost Hunters, you know, people, and still even to this day with Kindred and any other show I'm ever on, uh, there's all these like armchair investigators that want to tell you how to do things or don't realize that they're only seeing, you know, 40 minutes of a five-day shoot, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was strange to walk into an established show uh, because they were like rock stars. Like I, I talk about that in the book too. Like it was the weirdest thing because they had been on the air for three seasons already when I joined and they were a phenomenon. Like we could not go anywhere without people mobbing us. Like it's not anything like it is now. Like, I mean, it, because back then there were no D, there wasn't DVR, there wasn't like YouTube, like everyone tuned in on Wednesday night at nine. We got millions of viewers. Uh, it was so strange to walk into that. And I like what it has become now. Like now it's like completely leveled out and I think everyone can just kind of lead normal lives. But I kid you not, when I first joined Ghost Hunters, it was like 
going on the road with like a rock band or something. <laughs> it was a different world. <laughs> I remember, I think it was the season three premiere. Uh, they had, uh, they held it at twin river, the casino in, in Rhode Island. And they had uh, like a special event space where there was like a buffet dinner and there were just tables and tables and tables of people there to see this on the big screen, uh, you know, a week before it was going to air on television. And then of course, you know, everybody going up to get autographs and everything afterwards. And it was just insane to see the amount of people that were there for, you know, at the time, like you said, we didn't, we didn't DVR shows. Everybody was home, you know, Wednesday nights to watch ghost hunters. And, and to see all those yeah. people come out like that, it, it, it showed to me exactly how huge it was. Yeah, I mean, and, and now, like, I think that now there, that, that audience is still there, but I think that we are so saturated now with shows and fandom and everybody's so accessible with social media. Like, we don't need those moments like we used to, but back then, like, I mean, I'm glad that we experienced it. Um, but yeah, it, it was just, it was a different time. It was a different, like, I remember at the TAPS office, uh, uh, one of our PAs had to like arrange these huge bins for our fan mail with our names on them because like she had to separate it all out and no one sends physical fan mail anymore. Like I have a PO box and I probably get like two or three you know, letters a week or something, but we would get hundreds and presents and packages. And like, uh, there was a whole room just filled with it. Like, it, it's just, it's crazy. So yeah, it, it was a different time. Um, but it was weird though, too, because at that point I was one of, you know, six or seven in the cast and, you know, Jay and Grant were clearly like the, the stars of that. And it was nice because I was just kind of this like background supporting type character and um, just kind of got to, to experience this all, but without having a ton of responsibility, which was great. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a different story for you now. And, and I remember when we were on the, the, the first Strange Escapes cruise and you said to all of us that you had you know, some information, but you couldn't give all the details away. And, and it was just a little bit of a tease of what was to come. And it just made so much sense that, you know, the, the, the two of you that you and Adam could go and work on something where you could focus on what you felt was the most impor important part of investigating. And I thought you did a fantastic job in the book of explaining that moment of when it hit the two of you that, you know, we, we, we need, we appreciate the, what it is that's being done here with ghost hunters, but we think it could be more effective in a different way. Yeah. I mean, that moment for us was Waverly Hills. You know, we were at Waverly Hills and we had this really profound experience and we've talked about it many times and I go in depth into it in the book, but we just had this very profound experience with um, what we believe to be the spirits of these nurses in the nurses wing. And they really wanted to communicate with us and, there was this time crunch where the, the crew was like, Hey, we're going into overtime. We've got to leave. And it was our last night there. And Adam and I felt like we weren't done yet. I remember like leaving and both of us, like I was, we walked down that hallway and I was crying because I felt so guilty. And Adam put his arm around me and he was like, it's okay. It's okay. 
And that was that moment where I was like, I'm tired of leaving these places and leaving these spirits without providing some sort of resolution for them. Because I, like, and now I realize, I say this a lot, but we get two EVPs more than any other. Get out and help me. Those are the two we get over and over again. But more help me. Like, we get help me more than anything. And I was just like, I'm, I'm done just leaving these places like this. And you know, it took a, a couple, three years before we were able to change that when we decided to do Kindred. But um, I'm glad that we decided to kind of move on from that and kind of just change our trajectory a bit. So why do you think that the, you know, being in a place like that and, and having that type of, of a connection, why do you think for us, the living, do we still hold on to the the desire to help. Why, why can't we accept the fact that, you know, there is nothing that we can do. I mean, I understand the humanity of it and wanting to connect, but it's also something where do we understand it enough to be able to help? Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the difference between maybe you as a person and me as a person, but I would just look at that and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. But you look at it as saying like, I'm going to find a way to do something for you. Well, yeah. And, and that's just it. It's, it's a process. And so especially when you're in these larger locations where there's hundreds, if not thousands of spirits coming at you uh, and they need something. And I, I mean, this is, I, I feel as though if there is a energy or a spirit remaining that is making itself known repeatedly, and I'm not talking about like these kind of more benign ghosts and energies that kind of linger about and you see or hear every once in a while. I'm talking about the, door slamming, shove you, yell at you, like, please pay attention to me. Those ones, like, there's almost, ev- there's almost every time there's a reason why. And it takes a lot of digging, and it takes a lot of investigating. It takes a lot of research. And if you can uncover their story and figure out what it is, sometimes you can just figure out why they're there. And you're like, oh, there's nothing, like, you are here because you feel this way. But sometimes you can help them. You know, sometimes you can do something for them or answer a question for them or bring a relative over or something that will put their mind at ease enough where that piece of them that's still here and restless can can move on. And so I guess that's my version of moving something on. And, um, you know, it doesn't work every time, but and it is a ton of work. But I feel like there's something to it. And it just makes sense. Like, I could see, like, me as a parent. Like, if, if something happened to me, oh, my God, I'm knocking on so much work right now. Uh, you know, it, it, I would feel compelled to stay, you know, to watch over my child or to, to make sure something happens. Like, it's those kinds of things. It's that classic unfinished business moment. Uh, and so I do think that that exists. And so that's why I did, I'm not ready to be like, I can't do anything for you. It's more like, what can I do for you? You know, it's not like, hey, go to the light, Carol Ann. It's, what do you need? What, what can I help you with? You know, just tell me. And, and sometimes they, they will. Yeah, and just as, you know, ghost hunters had a trickle-down effect to inspire people to go out and try to do this for themselves and to go out and, and, and research the paranormal and, and go on investigations. I've seen the effect that kindred spirits has had on investigators too. 
where seeing the way that you and Adam handle the investigations and the way that you interact with the spirits, they've, they've now, and I'm talking about people that I, I worked with and, and investigated with prior to kindred spirits being on TV. And now afterward, like you can see the direct effect that it's had on people to, to change them and to, and for lack of a better term to soften them. So it becomes less about a, a scientific or a pseudoscientific pursuit and more about a humanistic approach to what it is that they're doing. Well, totally. And you know, I think we're all, I don't want to say guilty of it because I don't think it's anything to be guilty of for, but I just, I think that we all start and, and still want that kind of rush of an investigation. Like we want to have an experience. We want to see a ghost, you know, and, and it's because it's so fun and it's so spooky and it's, it's a novelty to an extent. And, you know, I still like going into really cool old places and having something happen. And, um, but then there is that moment where you're like, wait, am I doing this for me or, or why am I here? <laughs> you know? And, and you start realizing like, what if that was me? And, you know, it seems so obvious. And, um, I think that, I think that we were kind of starting to explore that a little bit, but I think that when, Adam and I started really pursuing it on Kindred and actually like presenting results from pursuing that people went, Oh, this, this can actually make a difference. And um, so I love seeing that people enjoy that. And I also love that like we are on a network that appreciates that, you know, cause most TV networks are like scared, scared, scared. And, and definitely like our show is scary. Like it has to be scary and entertaining, but you know, they totally get that our mission is also to help and they're, they're very supportive. And so it's great that, to have like the backing of an actual network on a mission like that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I've, I've found has changed is that there is so, so much more of an emphasis on, and I know that your, your program is a big part of the reason why this transition has happened, but a much more of a focus on the history behind things. So instead of just being a, a two or three minute little, um, uh, vignette at the beginning of the program. Now the history is really a, a major part of this, and they're going to spend a quarter of the show talking about the historical side of the investigation, or if it's a case of a family or somebody that you're working with, you know, who they are as people more than just about who might be the ghost. Yeah, that that's huge because, so I've always had this love for history and I can say like, so I was the researcher on ghost hunters and my part of the show was very much just like, they even told me, they were like, yeah, we just use this if we don't have, if we don't have something else. Like they were very matter of fact about the fact that they did not care about the history. And I'm not talking about like Jay and Grant or anything. I'm talking about the production team, the producers and, and like they did not care about it. And so <laughs> that was the vibe I got over and over again was like, mm, history, not into it. Nope, not it. Like the people just want to see ghosts. And it was even like when we, when we pitched Kindred, we really had to sell that. And, and we sold it in the sense of we're telling a story. Like this can't just be another show where we just show up and we're like, Hey, there's ghosts. Like, we need to tell it. We need to take the viewers on a journey with us. Like an actual, like come with us on this. And that means presenting characters alive and dead. And, and we have to show the research. And it was a tough sell. Like uh, for some reason, 
they were convinced that people did not care about history and research. And I was like, no, that's how you get like the reluctant spouse to watch, you know, like he's got mm-hmm. the total like paranormal believer. And then maybe their spouse is like, I'm not into this, but Oh wait, look at this history aspect. Like that's how you bring more viewers in. Um, I mean, that's not why we did it of course, but that was like my selling point to them was like, make it appealing. Uh, and so it's nice to see that change. And I definitely, I, I know we spurned that change and I will own that, <laughs> but like, I, I love it because I'm huge on history and research. And I think it's just as important to an investigation as that moment when you're in the dark, you know, talking to no one, <laughs> yeah. the, the history is just as important. No, I, I mean, I look at it as that was the that was the sea change in the paranormal world, or at least in paranormal television, from how many died to who died, and it, and it that's how it used to exactly. be. It's find us a find us a place where there's been a, a bunch of people that have died because they thought that that would increase, you know, the likelihood that they would have activity. But instead, as you've proven, knowing who it is that you're interacting with and knowing who they were as a person and reaching out to them in that manner it's far more likely to have you get interaction and, and I, I guess the word is evidence, you know, but still to get something that they can put on camera as opposed to just going into a place just because a bunch of people died there. Absolutely. And like, doesn't it, it makes it more, it makes it more heartfelt. It makes it more compelling when you're hearing a voice or you're getting this piece of, like you said, like evidence, I say in air quotes because it's not actual evidence, but when you're getting a piece of footage or something that reflects an actual like human being that, you know, their history, you know, their name, you know, like their family, that is so much more powerful than just a wispy little voice that you don't know anything about. Uh, and I think again, it just like completely humanizes what you're doing. And I think that, you know, it's gone from, Yes, TV, but also I think it's put like this new kind of like call to action for a lot of investigators out there too. Right. I mean, and and I remember when I was researching for shows, you know, you would hear a story of a certain spirit and you would almost hope to yourself that you didn't encounter that spirit because the stories are so brutal. uh, The stories are so, you know, and you don't know how much of it is truth as much as you try to, you know, research the true person that doesn't mean that all of the paranormal stories about that person are true. And then you worry, well, who from their family is going to be watching this? And will they be upset at the way we're portraying that story? Whereas with what you're doing, you know, you're being asked to come and look for these spirits. And so you're actually, you know, doing, you're doing that work on behalf of somebody else. Yes, we are. But that, but we do have spirits that come in you know, sometimes unexpectedly, you know, they, they think it's someone, but it happens to be someone else. And, you know, there have been a number of times where we've encountered spirits of people who have, you know, very living relatives. <laughs> and, um, and that, that's always been a tough call. We're like, how do we present this? And we were like, you know what, we're just going to put it out there. We're just going to put it out there. And uh, aside from one family, every family I've heard from has been like super, thankful about like how we portrayed their loved one or how it ended up. Um, but I, there is that worry because especially like some of these, like you don't know who's haunting in space and that's, it is this great unknown. Like we walk into a house, it is haunted. This families, you know, especially with families, like something's going on. And then, you know, we might happen upon like who's actually there. And it's someone who maybe died three years ago or something. <laughs> and, and, 
you know, we try to delicately put it on TV, but it, it, it comes out. And um, so, yeah, I don't know where we were going with that, but I just <laughs> wanted to speak on the fact that, you know, some, that, that it does happen and uh, we do handle it in a, a way that we try you know, to be respectful. Yeah, I mean, I was I was saying at the beginning of the show uh, before you joined us that I just did a couple of nights in uh, in Middleborough near the Oliver House uh, doing ghost stories uh, for for a fundraiser for a local um, performing arts school, and they they wanted me to tell spooky ghost stories. Well, that's kind of how I pitched it. So I took you know the investigations that I had and I told them in in a spooky way, and as I'm telling these these local stories, you know, I start finding myself going into sharing some of these experiences and then having to stop myself and say, Oh no, wait, I forgot. Like this is a public <laughs> venue. I can't tell this story because the family gets mad. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's a hard, like that's a hard call. And so we, you know, we kind of, we've opted to, we've had to just be honest. And so we just bring it up, but we did the Oliver house this season, actually, uh, since you brought it up, but, uh, we filmed there for season five that's coming up and we had to, we did the craziest experiment. I can't wait for you guys to see it, <laughs> did, but yeah, uh, we worked with Christy a lot too, which I know you're familiar with Christy and uh, we had a lot of fun there. I cannot wait for everyone to see. It, it is such a great place and it's a prime example of how good the paranormal can do for the historical world because of all the renovations they've been able to make there because of the people that just come there and go on their different ghost nights. And, and that has put a new roof on. It's put indoor plumbing in. So we don't have to use a, a porta potty outside anymore. I mean, it's just, it's amazing <laughs> that the paranormal people can bring back so much history, not just there, but in all the places that we've benefited. Yeah. I've argued that point many times um, with some of these like historical societies and things. And uh, I adore museums. I adore historical societies, uh, but they are dying. And especially right now, like there are so many that are just shuddering because they, they can't afford to put, you know, protocols in place for, for visitors and they can't afford to stay open. Nobody's going out. And I have pleaded with some of them, not ones that aren't haunted, of course, but some of them that are haunted. I'm like, you need to do something with this. This is a stream of income. Like I get that, you know, you don't like, they're so afraid of having this haunted reputation. I don't know what they think it's going to, it's going to do to them, but you know, it brings people in the doors. Uh, and it also brings people in who might not have had that interest in the history there to begin with, but then they walk in and they learn so much and they pass the good word on and there's nothing but good that can come from it. And I have seen the paranormal rescue so many historical locations. And so I am ready. Like once this is all over, I am ready to like swoop in and try to help some of these locations because they are going to need us now more than ever. Well, just as a side note, the biggest brick wall that I've ever encountered when it comes to that is the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, the Plymouth antiquarian <laughs> really? society. Oh my gosh. Like they don't even return emails 
uh, you know, to at least say, hey, we're not interested, which the, uh, the other side of the argument is they could also be 85 year old people that don't have access to email uh, because it is, you know, that's the, the nature of these historical societies. But I mean, I've tried for years and I've heard from people that work in Plymouth uh, doing paranormal things to say, like, they just don't let anybody into any of these spots. And I think they were hanging their hat on the Plymouth 400 being like the big thing this year that was going to bring in all the new people that would be interested in history. And of course they couldn't do it. So I'm hoping that they might change their mind on some of this paranormal stuff and realize like this brings people in. We, we, you and I both have had case studies of places where, you know, they, they were dying when it comes to, to, to tourism. Nobody would ever go there and take a tour. We feature them as being haunted or at least get the word out that there's activity there. And then the next thing you know, everybody wants to go. Absolutely. I mean, I think the Mark Twain house is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. And I actually, this was years ago, but Adam and I, they asked us on to like a conference call with them to talk Like they hosted like kind of like this, um, this, this talk to other, uh, you know, historical locations on how ghost tourism had helped them. And Adam and I just kind of presented like why this was a good idea. And they were like our, the Mark Twain house brought in 60,000 extra dollars the year before just hosting a ghost tour three nights a week. And, you know, these places were dying, you know, some of them were just set in their ways and they were like, no, we're not going to, but they, but some of them were like, Oh, this, this can be a thing. And it doesn't require a whole lot of overhead. And, you know, I, I stress to them, I'm like, look, you are bring, you're not bringing in a rowdy bunch of people looking to go to, like, a haunted attraction. You're bringing in people who are going to be as quiet as possible and, <laughs> and not touch anything, you know? Like, this is the most, like, chill group of people you could bring in after dark that you will ever see, and it, it, it does nothing but good. So, yes, you and I have both seen how, how much of a change that can bring. So oh. I'm looking for, I mean... I'm looking forward to all of this being over, but I, I'm also, you know, looking forward to getting back out there and seeing if there are any locations that might have been, been like, heck no, before that might be more welcoming now. Well, I, I'll tell you a funny story about the, the Mark Twain house. I don't know if I've told you this before, but when, so they filmed with, with ghost hunters uh, in, in the pretty early days, I think, of the series. And they hadn't really done anything, and they didn't let anybody come in for investigations. And somehow, when, when we were running Legend Trips, Jeff Belanger became friendly with the person that was in charge of the events there. And they somehow gave us permission to come in and do a Legend Trips events there. Uh, and, and they didn't know like what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. We had to explain to them the setup and all this. And, and we, we, we ran a very successful event there that night. They actually, we were the first people that they ever allowed to take flash photography inside the, the house itself. Mm-hmm. And, and when, at the end of the night, you know, we write them a nice check for, you know, they're, they're, they're for letting us come in and do the event there. And then the next thing you know, that's when they started doing their own events. Very similar to the style that we were doing them. So, you know, it just goes to show that, uh, that they are open to it. They just have to see it happen. Yeah, that happened to us at the Stanley Hotel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the family let us there a few years in a row, and then they were like, "Oh wait, we could do this ourselves." <laughs> so they they don't let paranormal events there anymore. But um, but you know, for the Mark Twain house, that's a great thing. Like that's fine. They 
they, they realized that they could keep that overhead for themselves. But uh, it is funny how that happens. Yeah, I mean, we, we joke around about it, about being a little salty about it, but we're not, because in the end, it's bringing new people no. into that place and keeping the... Not oh, only- yeah, and they, yeah, they, they're not, you know, you, you know, they're not like rolling in the dough or anything, so you kind of just kind of, you know, let them see the light, so you did a good thing, really. Yep. That's all we want to do. We want to spark that interest and, and get people to pay attention to this. And I, and I think as I, you know, as I'm reading through the book and I'm, I'm reading about the different experiences that you've had at places, both whether it be filming for the show or places where you've had strange escapes events, uh, you can definitely tell the, the love and the passion that you have for the places that you get to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest things is, you know, picking new places because I look forward to revisiting so many of these. Like I, I almost get, I, I feel like I have this kind of kinship to some of these places and I can't imagine not going there every single year. So I'm like, how am I supposed to add more places into the rotation? (laughs) Because, you know, I have to make it to all these places every year, but I do, you know, I think every place has a different kind of energy and, um, and I, I, you know, we, we have this kind of weird road family and, uh, you know, you make these memories there and just part of, part of the experience is going back and making more memories. And so, yeah, I have a lot of love for a a lot of these locations and I love that people are seeing them in a new light too, just through strange escapes or through reading about them or seeing them on the shows. Um, I just like that people have this new kind of more spiritual appreciation for them. And just as much as you like to put a spotlight on these locations, you've also done a great job in putting a spotlight on some of the people that work in the paranormal world that might not have been getting, you know, the, the, the same level of attention that they should have. And, you know, looking at somebody like John Tenney or the new Kirks or, you know, even working with chip and all these people, you know, people knew chip from TV, but they didn't really know chip. They only saw him in these, you know, these brief segments. And, and then for the limited time that psychic kids was around, but you've given these people a platform to, I mean, it's, it's, I can't say this about John Tenney cause he's always been doing this through his career, but still they've changed the game in, in a way that people would not yes. have paid attention to otherwise. Yes, absolutely. And, and so that was the, my biggest concern is I didn't want people to think that like, I just came up with all these ideas on my own. Like a lot of these thoughts and theories and ideas came from, you know, late night talks and, weird hotel lobbies and stuff, you know, or, or strange experiences on the road and, and with these people. And so it was imperative to me that I gave them as much credit as I possibly could and, and quoted them as accurately as I could and like acknowledge them in the acknowledgement. Like I just, I was so cognizant of that. Like I didn't, I, I mean, I can't even stress like how worried I was, like even with them, like I constantly was just checking and like making sure it was okay. Like to the level of which I was quoting them, but I wanted to make sure that people knew who they were and like where these thoughts came from. Like that it doesn't, it wasn't just from me. Um, Cause that's hard. You know how the paranormal is, you know, people are always like, you stole this, you stole, you know, it's just like any other research field. And I just, you know, I, I wanted to give credit where credit was due. And, and at the same time, these are just all really dear friends of mine. And so I just wanted to make sure I did it right. Yeah. There, I mean, there's been times when I've been, you know, 
just kind of looking through and seeing like who who has new ideas who are do who's doing different things and you know just to try to say okay maybe maybe for this week's episode of the show i'll bring on somebody that nobody's ever heard of before but because i find something interesting on their social media that they're trying out and that they're doing and they're just they're there it ebbs and flows how much people really try to innovate and it seems like right now we're at a, at a period where people are doing that. But for a few years, you know, we were kind of in that down period where everybody was just copying what they were seeing on TV. And I wanted to just grab them all by the by the shirt collar and say, but there's so much more you could be doing. Just stop looking at only television. <laughs> you know, the weird thing is for us, TV has kind of made us think outside the box. Like, and... That sounds strange, but, you know, every episode or every case, we're trying to make it interesting for the viewer, do things differently. And so what that means is we're always throwing in these kind of extra experiments. Like we have an idea how the case is going to, not how the case is going to go, but just like how we're going to approach a case. But then to kind of throw in a curveball or something new and interesting, we'll think of some kind of like off the wall experiment and not really expecting it to always work, but just more something new to show the people at home. And sometimes those weird experiments work. <laughs> so, you know, they're not necessarily things that we would do if there were not cameras rolling, if that makes sense. Like I, I don't want to make it seem like it's just for TV, but it's like, you know, we're always, we want to keep it interesting. And so sometimes these kind of like off the wall, strange things we think of actually there, something happens from it. And we're like, Oh wow, that's crazy. <laughs> you know? And, um, and so there's something to be said for paranormal television and kind of how it like advances the field in a way. And I think that's the same for like the new Kirks and everybody like trying, you know, everything they try with hell year and stuff like it, it is this kind of like, let's, how do we think outside the box and like bring everybody along with us? And uh, it's kind of, it's a challenge. And I think that that's why we're growing so much right now. Well, and, and I think that Hellier has been that bridge that we needed to kind of bring, you know, not all paranormal activity is necessarily just the spirits of dead people. There's, there's other, th other things that fall under the, not only the ghostly realm, but also, you know, the other aspects of the paranormal that are something bigger and more mysterious that we don't understand. And I think that that's kind of bridged that gap between people that want to look at things through the lens of how can we explain this? And the people that are like, Oh, we're not ever going to be able to explain it, but let's just go down that, that path anyway. And, and it's, I think that's reinvigorated a lot of people by being able to look at it with that dichotomy of, you know, proof versus experience. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, in the, the chapter of my book of, you know, if ghosts are real, Bigfoot is probably real, too. It's, it's kind of that idea of, like, you know, if you're going to believe in ghosts, you might want to explore these other phenomena as well. Like, they're, you know, ghosts might seem, it's funny to me how there's sometimes this argument about, like, ghosts are totally real, but UFOs, that seems crazy, or, you know, cryptids that seems insane but you know how can you believe in one kind of off the wall thing but not even entertain the idea of something else or entertain the idea that there's some either interconnected or being mistaken for each other and uh and so i love that that door has been opened recently 
Yeah, and you've done that though with Strange Escapes events where you've always worked in some of these other ideas so it goes beyond, you know, beyond just ghosts and, and looks at some other aspects of the paranormal. Yeah, totally. And and you know, I think that's important. But I do I mean I, I don't I can't say for certain that they are all interconnected, but there is part of me that thinks that some of it it is, you know, I just I see too many um kind of uh, resemblances in uh, experiences that people have when they report it to like, say like an alien abduction versus like a ghost sighting and things. And so I just, you know, I like kind of bringing that all together and it keeps it interesting um, and terrifying. Like I'm, I'm completely terrified of the idea of UFOs and aliens. And I, I know they're, they're way more uh, tangible than the idea of ghosts. <laughs> so, well, but yeah, so I, I try to keep it all in the family. You and me both. No aliens uh, visiting me. You know, keep those, keep them going after Moniz. Uh That's the way I look at it. <laughs> oh, Moniz. But, uh, well, you know, he is an abductee, so let, let them keep grabbing him again that's and again. That's true. It's, it does not surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> no, I, I'm just surprised that they keep coming back after they grabbed him. <laughs> so they're just like, oh, wait, wait, what was the Mike Brody joke? The Mike Brody joke was, uh, the uh, abductees aren't the ones that got kidnapped. They're the ones that got thrown back. <laughs> That's true. That's definitely true. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, no, no. These are the ones they decided to throw back. <laughs> right. They kept the good ones. Yeah. But the, you, you brought up an idea of something that I've been talking a lot with people lately, uh, probably over the last like six months or so. It just keeps coming up again and again. And it's something that has been talked about in the paranormal world for decades, but really nobody has explored it enough. And that's the idea of a unified theory of everything in the paranormal, that all of these experiences that we have, whether it be ghosts or aliens or Bigfoot or what have you, that they are kind of coming from the same source. So sure, the spirits that you're interacting with are probably, you know, the, the spirits of the, the loved ones that, are, that you're, you're helping with these cases, but there's some sort of reason and, and, and energy that allows them to come back and it's all part of the same grander scheme yes and there's also and the more that i do this there's also and i think i talk about this a lot in the book but it's just becoming more and more prevalent in my research and investigations is the idea that we're kind of creating all of this like it's coming from us in a way um you know, there is, I'm sure you're aware of, like, the Philip experiment that was done where, you know, a group of, like, parapsychologists kind of created the spirit and then did a seance and the spirit appeared and had all these characteristics that they kind of infused them with. And so we've experimented with that and had great success in it. And so then there's this kind of weird moment where you're like, is this activity or all these experiences things that, you know, we believe in so much as parent, like, is this why we're having them? Because we're a parent, like we are, we believe in the paranormal and why skeptics don't have them. Like, are we creating them? Like, is this coming from us? Is <laughs> So I don't know. Like there is this moment where I'm like all of this energy or all of these ideas. And like the fact that so many of these experiences kind of transcend the genre, I would say like, you know, you have people who have these kind of, abductee experiences or alien sightings or, you know, cryptid moments that do resemble a lot of the spiritual kind of um, 
experienced people report to us. So there's, there is this moment where you're like, is this just this whole web of energy that we might be coming up with? And that's my newest, not theory, but something I'm exploring and experimenting with a lot. Um, well, that's, so I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> that, that's my obsession is the idea that it's actually coming from within us. And I, you know, I talk about that, you know, publicly at some of these lectures that I do and I see people's eyes roll and they groan and I'm like, I get it. I understand that you want it to be dead people. And, and, and I, I believe that some of it could very well be, but I also think there's lots of reasons to think that it could be us that's causing this activity. And, and that to me is, probably even more fascinating than thinking that we're interacting with the dead. Yes. I cannot tell you how many times we're investigating and I know what an EVP is going to say before I hear it. Like, it's so bizarre. Like I, I will know what it's going to say. And I don't know if that's the psychic thing. I'm not psychic. I am no chip coffee, but I'm like, how do I know that? Or I know if we're even going to get an EVP. Like, I'll, I'll be sitting there, I'll be like, nope, nothing's happening. And it's, you know, nothing comes back. Or I'll know that there's an energy there. So I don't know. Like, I think a lot of what we experience is coming from us. I cannot wait for you to see what we do at the Oliver House <laughs> on this Facebook conversation. I'll have to tell you more offline. But, like, um, but I, I do think there is an element of it that comes from us. And, and I think that as long as we can believe in things like the power of positive thought, or the power of like a vision board or what, like if you think that you can infuse a space with positive energy to influence the, like the greater outcome of your life, why don't we believe that we can't like create a spirit or we can't create something negative you know what i mean like mm -hmm. if we have that power why don't we have the power over here <laughs> so i don't know i think there's something to it and i i i'm i've been trying to think of some really like interesting ways to explore that well one of the things that I've, i i i think is the most valuable part of that and what we do is so let's just say we go into a historic haunted place and we observe we we learn every bit of history that we can about it we know everything. We're a walking encyclopedia of a place like, say, Christie is at the Oliver House. Uh, and then we go into this place and we investigate. And we, if we're the ones creating these ghosts and creating this experience based on all this history that we know, so we, we expect to reach out to the Olivers or the Sprouts or what have you, then fine, we have an interaction with them. But then the next person that comes there without us being there they get an interaction and that spirit tells them that they are the Olivers or the Sprouts or whoever. And now they go back and they learn who those people were. So what we basically did is we basically forced somebody to, to learn the history by having them have that experience with a ghost that we created. It's the best way of teaching that I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. Oh gosh, Tim, I cannot wait for you to see the episode of the Oliver house. <laughs> do you know, do you know where it runs Let's in the season? I don't, but I, let's just say that we really went down that path there because we were like, who is the, because there is this ghost that suddenly appeared and we were like, who is this ghost? And so no, you know, no spoilers, but we definitely toyed with the idea that that may have come from the investigators themselves. And we did some really crazy experiments to find out. And, and I don't know the whole story, but I just saw a little video today. Uh, from Christy and, and Chris over there. 
but apparently somebody took books from the library while they were on a tour recently and then mailed them back to them and they just they just got them in the mail today like the, <laughs> like how oh, they should <laughs> And apparently this person was like a very well, he, he wrote a letter explaining like he was a very well-educated person. Uh, he used to go there when, when, before it was open to the public. And, and I think he said something about, he started his writing career there and all this weird stuff. And something just compelled him to take a book while well, he was two books while he was there. And then he just sent them back. I have no idea what the whole story is. I got to find that out from Christy because it just sounds so weird. Well, can you imagine too, like, that moment where you enter what is known as a very haunted location and then you willingly take objects from it and you take them home and then you progress. Like that worry continues. You're like, what did I do? Did I bring a piece of that place with me? Like, and then do you at that point create activity in your home based around this object that you stole? Like, are you so worried? Like, does that like kind of like culminate into something actually happening in your house or, or maybe you did actually bring something home with you, but um, you know, that's the whole idea of like Pele in Hawaii. Like that's how they stopped people from taking the lava rock was telling them they would bring home a, an evil spirit and people send it back all the time because they're like, they took it and then they're like, Oh my God, my life sucks. <laughs> so it's interesting uh, to see how that kind of pans out. I, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to Christy and find out what happens. Yeah, I remember I, I was able to take a, a, a brick, a piece of brick from the S.K. Pierce mansion in Gardner, and it was okay. I was given permission to take it uh, because they were tearing it down because they were trying to unearth the tunnel that's in the basement. And I gave a piece of it to a friend of mine who was upset because he couldn't go on the investigation we were supposed to have there. And as soon as he brought that home, he started getting scratched in the middle of the night and he couldn't understand why. And it took us a while to figure out it's probably because of that brick. And so once he removed that from his room, he didn't have any more problems. But, you know, he wasn't even thinking about that possibility. So I don't know if it was something he was doing subconsciously or if there might have been something attached to it. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I, I, I collect stuff from so many haunted places. We go like, I love bringing home pieces of our locations. And I have so much and I have yet to have anything happen. So... Not again, knocking on wood, this <laughs> entire interview, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, oh, I brought home a doll from the Oliver house, actually a really creepy doll. Like they were like, yes, please take her. <laughs> so, she's, she's in my office now and she's hanging out with my other doll. She seems, they seem to be getting along. And no, no problems. No, none at all. I mean, she, I thought, I just, I was drawn to her. I, I have a weird thing about old dolls like Charlotte, poor Charlotte. I'm damaging her. My daughter, I'm damaging her. She's just like, no more creepy dolls, mom. But like, I feel like kind of attached to them. And I saw this one and I immediately was like, what's the story on this doll? And they said somebody donated it. And Christy was like, you can have it. Take it. You can have it. Like nobody likes that doll. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but nothing. But she just hangs out in the office. So, one of the um, uh, the 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 I don't I don't want to really get into too much about the idea of spirit attachments, but it it does happen to people. I mean, I I, I talk a lot about the time that it happened to Christy, but um, is that something that you've had to deal with a lot? Where there might it doesn't have to be a full 
attachment, but maybe just a little piece of, of that, that person's energy might reach out to you later on to let you know that it's still around. Does that happen? Because I would assume that you're making a different type of connection with spirits than the rest of us are where we're probably, you know, antagonizing them. So that they're trying to get us later, but you're making this, this nice human connection with them that they might still feel like you are somebody that they can turn to. Do you ever hear back from them after you've left places? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I have experiences occasionally after I've left. Um, but I, I mean, I try to kind of wrap it up when I leave. It's so weird. Like I, I don't like to just like leave a location abruptly. Like I always try to kind of close it. It's almost like closing the door. Like I try to, make sure there is an ending. So there isn't that kind of like need to kind of continue the conversation, but sometimes it happens and um, it hasn't happened for a while. I think because I have become more aware of it, Um, but, but it has happened. It's not usually like object based or anything. It's just, you know, uh, you know, they get excited that somebody's listening to them or, or talking to them differently or, you know, aware of some, bit of them that no one else had brought up. And so they might just kind of, you know, pop home or pop back to the hotel room or whatever. Um, but it's, it's just a matter of just talking them through it. And it's, it's, I don't encourage it though. And so it has not happened in a while. Waverly was probably one of the more notable moments. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not a regular occurrence. And, and of course, I, I don't want to end the conversation without asking you what I think is your favorite question to be asked during an interview. And that is, what is the best piece of equipment to detect a ghost? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, Tim. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so for me, I just like a good old-fashioned recorder. I like to do EVP work. I, um, you know, I think that a lot of people want to get something on camera, but... Uh, you know, as I've stressed a lot during all these interviews for the book and stuff, I'm like, it does not matter how much proof you have, no one is going to believe you, especially if it's on camera, like the Pentagon released UFO videos, still nobody noticed. <laughs> so, um, so the nice thing about a recorder is that uh, I can get like a full answer, like a name or a sentence or something. And then that gives me a clue that I can dig into more with research. But if I'm doing like real time EVP sessions where I'm like either listening at the same time or playing it back immediately, you can have like almost a full conversation. And so that's like, if I could have one thing, it would always just be my recorder. But which, which one can I buy that will definitely help me find a ghost? (laughs) (laughs) I, I do like that Panasonic. (laughs) I know. Like, um, the DR60, um, I, I have a lot of luck with it. And unfortunately we started using it on Kindred so much that the prices are sky high on that damn thing. Um, I have like, I have two or three of them now, thankfully. Uh, so, cause I was always worried that what I had would break, but, um, that, that's my favorite recorder because it's, it's, uh, voice activated. There's something about it that works, but there are a number of, of them out there kind of similar to it that don't have that same name that I think work. And I just think I I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are a few that people have sent me and stuff that, um, that seem to work almost as well. 
But, but I mean, some people hate that recorder, but I have really great luck with it. So have you ever thought of reaching out to Panasonic and, and seeing if they can, you know, find the schematics for that and maybe develop something that would be similar to the original design? I mean, yes, but I also feel like the, the audience for that would be so small for them because, you know, if you think about it, it's just the paranormal folks. It's not, you know, Panasonic has much bigger fish to fry than us. (laughs) I mean, I guess I could go to them and be like, Hey, look, you can make this recorder that probably cost you a dollar twenty-seven to make and sell it for hundreds of dollars. <laughs> but, right, just um, don't tell them that they have to retail it. Like I, I was going to say, I was going to say, don't tell them that they have to retail it for twenty-nine ninety-nine like their other recorders. Tell them they just have to sneak them <laughs> onto the secondary market on eBay. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. I, there's got to be something out there that works in a similar fashion. Like, I would love to find it. There, I. I think it has something to do with the, the white noise. I, I don't know. I don't know why it works so well. And I, it's so funny because some investigators, like especially some from like other shows and stuff, they're like just die hard against it. And I'm like, but it works. Like, listen, like it works. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and so, but I also use my phone sometimes too. Like I, and I get results with that as well. Or, or we'll use like a zoom recorder and, um, but I just feel like the that Panasonic just gives us like instant results, and it's so clear. And you know, I I used it. I I was introduced to it years ago by the Constantinos. Like they they were the ones who showed me that recorder, and I was like, oh gosh, this is something else. And it's it's never wavered for me. I, I remember when um, when I reached out to Fleer, uh, mainly because I was trying to get Fleer in the early days of Spooky South Coast to sponsor the show. And to, you know, maybe, maybe give us a, a, a device to use to, to, to give testimonials for it. And so when I reached out to them, I don't know if I just got the one, you know, tech that answers emails that had never seen ghost hunters before, but I said, you know, there's a lot of people in the paranormal world that are using your, your cameras to, to and the guy wrote back and he's like, wait, they do what? And it works how? What? And I like had to explain it all to him because he had no idea. I think they probably all know by this point. Yeah, that must have been early on because I remember I w- there was a FLIR rep who used to go to events a lot um, because he, he discovered us because of Ghost Hunters and then he just started showing up at like Strange Escapes and stuff and he would always bring like this crazy top of the line stuff, but um, oh, yeah, which this- was really interesting because, you know, he actually worked for FLIR and he was like, I don't have an explanation for some of the stuff you guys catch. Yep. When you have somebody there that knows how it works and they, they look at it and they say, listen, it's, it's definitely an anomaly. You're not using it wrong because I'm the guy that built it and I know how it's supposed to be used. Yes. And that, that's why he started coming out. Cause he was like, I don't know what's happening here. And this was like a very science-based person. And he was like, I don't understand the stuff you're catching with this thing. And so he came to a couple events and then he just like fell in love with the paranormal, which I thought was really fun. We've, we've won a few people over over the years. <laughs> All of us weirdos. We've yeah, won some people know, over. Half a dozen or so. <laughs> so. So just in the final few moments that we have here, again, if anybody wants to pick up the book, it is out now. Life with the Afterlife, 13 Truths I Learned About Ghosts. It is fantastic. Uh, when can we expect the new season? I know that 
you know, production stuff and edits have been slowed down because they can only have so many people and facilities and things like that. But do you have an idea of when it's going to start running? Yeah. So we're right on schedule, thankfully. Like we filmed at our normal time. Um, and so we will be back in early 2021, which we tend to come back in like January, February. So I think that people can look for us about them. And then, you know, you had mentioned that you have a couple of events coming up, but just let people know more. And if you, and if you have any tickets available for anything. Yeah. So strange escapes, like right now the website has nothing up on it because this next week we are redoing all of our graphics for all the new dates, but, um, we do, we will be going back to Missouri in, uh, December, but this coming year we've got a lot going on. We've got Mount Washington coming back up. We've got a cruise. Um, we've got Hawaii coming up. We've got St. Augustine. Like we are, we're hitting the, we are hitting the events hard in 2021. We are coming back big time. So we're excited to see everybody. Well, hopefully that will not only get everybody back out there and, and, and doing things, but also get these locations, you know, some much needed visits and, uh, and get them some much needed revenue because we don't, we don't want to see any of these people, you know, have to close up shop when they mean so much to us. Not only as you were, as you were saying before, it's not only just about the ghosts, it's about the people that work there, the people that dedicate their times, uh, their time to these places. And it really is just an extension of the paranormal family. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's been hard this last year not being able to see them. So we're excited to get back out there. We're excited to help them. We're excited to see everybody. Well, I thank you very much for talking with us tonight. And I have a feeling we're going to be talking again real soon uh, based on the calendar. Uh, but uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just how things shook out, but that's okay. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, hopefully we'll actually get to see each other soon too in person because tired of looking at the same four walls all the time. Yes, I agree. So it's been nice chatting and thanks so much for having me. All right. Have a great night, a great weekend. Tell everybody I said hi. I will. Thank you. That is Amy Broody. And again, catch that book wherever you get your books, whether it be Amazon or if you go out to the bookstores. I've seen it on the shelves in some of the stores too. Life with the Afterlife, 13 Truths I Learned About Ghosts. Uh, and you can check that out. Um, we'll have uh, everything linked up later on this week on Midnight FM's website. And, uh, you know, not to give you spoilers of what's coming up on the program this week, but uh, we release that on Sundays. For those of you who are spooky South Coast listeners that don't listen to Midnight Society, well, tune in uh, on um, uh, weeknights from 10 to midnight. I'm sorry, weeknights from 10 to 1. It's an hour longer than Spooky South Coast is. And, uh, and you can catch all the great guests that we have on that program as well. So hopefully next week we can be back in the WBSM studio. Uh, I think there's paperwork that we need to have in order to, to travel after the curfew starts that says that we are, uh, I guess essential, but I don't think we're essential. So I don't know. We got to go through all those hoops and see if we can go back in and be in the WBSM studio. But for those of you who listen on midnight FM or who listen on podcasts later on, yeah, you don't know the difference, right? And uh, so we'll see if we can get all of that figured out. And be sure to check out all of our previous episodes. You can do so by going to wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get them from, uh, you know, iTunes or actually, what's it now? Apple Podcasts or, or Spotify or Stitcher or any of the other podcast sites that are out there. Just search for Spooky South Coast and you'll be able to find it. And uh, it's also on Spreaker now, too. Uh, everywhere that podcasts are found, you'll find us. I mean, I don't think there isn't a podcast service that doesn't carry us. And uh, there's 
600 and something episodes for you to go back and listen to. So you have a week to catch up. You know, if you want to listen to them all before next Saturday night, uh, you can do so. And also during the week, if you want to reach out to us, the way to do so is spooky crew at spooky southcoast.com. A spooky crew at spooky southcoast.com. You can also email me directly, Tim at spooky southcoast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spooky SC. You can follow me at Tim Weisberg, or you can like us on Facebook at spooky South coast on Facebook. And, uh, and you'll not only see the stuff there from this program itself, but also some of the stuff that Stephanie Burke does with her raw and real show with Scott Porter. Uh, and also Chris Balzano posts a lot of stuff up there about tripping on legends and, uh, they share some different stories and articles and things that people would find interesting there. And the best place to go, of course, is to follow the midnight FM page where it takes everything spooky south coast uh, midnight society all the great shows that are on midnight fm it brings them all together into one place uh, so you can follow us on facebook there midnight dot fm or you can like us on facebook at midnight dot fm i'm sorry follow us on twitter so that'll do it for tonight's show for matt for matt for stephanie we want you all and for me we want you all to stay spooktacular